Hello and welcome back to Teens World of Politics, a podcast where I go through the politics of some of the largest countries and corporations in the world and talk with some of my friends about the great big world around us, what we can do to make some sense of it. Every episode will have two parts. The first part will consist of its political history, and the second part will be about how it, its current situation and how they move forward today. Today's podcast is sponsored by nobody, since I am still a teenager. Welcome to episode one, part two, Let's Get Banned in China. Today, I'll be t- discussing with recurring star of the pod, Oscar, about how the country moves forward. Part one of the podcast was the history of Chinese politics, and part two will discuss how the country advances in today's young political climate. Along the way, we'll see whether we'll get banned in China. Shall we, Oscar? Sure, let's go. Alright, so last pod, we discussed the political history of China, from the creation of the People's Republic of China in 1949 to the 1989 Tiananmen Square protests. This episode, we'll talk about the more recent events in Chinese politics, like the Hong Kong protests, international scrutiny on China, Taiwan, and if we have enough time, maybe we can discuss what's been going on in Xinjiang. Sounds like a packed episode. It really is. Let's first start off with Hong Kong. Alright, some brief backstory to any listener who does not fully know what is going on with Hong Kong. Hong Kong has been facing lots of protests over the past two years due to an extradition bill presented in Hong Kong that basically says any crimes committed in Hong Kong will be prosecuted in mainland China. This means that any crimes, any criminals will be brought to mainland China to face the courts there. Protests started in June of 2019 against the bill, as they claimed it would undermine judicial independence and endanger dissidents of the regime in in mainland China. Up until 2000, Hong Kong was ruled by Britain as a colony, but then returned to China under the one country, two system arrangement. This meant that Hong Kong had some autonomy and its people had some rights. Now the extradition, extradition bill was withdrawn in September, demonstrations continued and now the protesters were fighting for full democracy and inquiry into police action in the area. Clashes between police and activists have become increasingly violent in the protests, with police firing live bullets and protesters attacking officers and throwing petrol bombs. The protests have continued even throughout the pandemic and the protests have survived multiple measures placed by the government to try and silence them. One question many of the listeners must be thinking is why? Well, as I stated a few moments ago, Hong Kong was ruled by Britain, which allowed for freedom in the area, with all rights extended to British land being extended to them. Now this changed in 2000, when Hong Kong was given to the Chinese, with the promise that Hong Kong would retain a few of the privilege given to them while under British rule. This created a uh, population in Hong Kong that were used to the special uh, freedoms that were not extended by the Chinese to any other areas. So obviously due to the special privilege for Hong Kong, any and all removals of basic rights by the Chinese were met by strong resistance by the Hong Kong population. This had been going on basically since the original handoff by the British to the Chinese, and this bill was the metaphorical straw that broke the camel's back. More recently, the Chinese government had been uh, cleansing the political system of Hong Kong of any dissidents of the regime's more democratically aligned leaders. 
And the way that China is proceeding uh, with this is claiming that these leaders are violating security laws and other laws that were written uh, with very vague terms, which will allow for the utilization of the laws to act out their oppression. Countries across the world have uniformly spoken out against this suppression of free speech, with British government going on as saying that these recent actions taken to prevent these uh, protests violate their 2000 agreement on handing off the colony and providing a special UK visa to people in Hong Kong, which creates a fast track to UK citizenship and the ability to leave the country. Now let's try and divulge into the more subjective terms of this Hong Kong. What do you think is the most likely outcome of this situation? Do you think that there's a chance that these recent protests in Hong Kong bear fruit and freedom, or at least some partial form of freedom, is restored to the Hong Kong province? Or do you believe that the government will act similarly to Tiananmen Square and silence these protests, probably more discreetly and pretend this never happened? Or is there another outcome that you might foresee? Well, uh, the unfortunate thing is I think that the Hong Kong protests won't actually achieve what uh, it's now aimed to achieve, which is democracy and independence. It depends, really, because the protest uh, faction is quite divided on independence and staying with the mainland and just having two countries, one system, or depends. But um, the outcome I see is the protests would probably just die out and might linger on for a few more years, depends on the situation later on. It's kind of difficult to predict. I also think that the Chinese Communist government can't really do anything similar to Tiananmen Square, has and would pro or they would, but probably do it more discreetly than they did before, as uh, the Tiananmen Square protests when the shooting happened. Uh, a lot of a lot of sanctions. No, leader the the current leader of the PRC during that time uh, had to step down because of uh, the international uh, backlash from the protests and how they acted against it. So these uh, economic sanctions would probably be more be more dangerous, I would say, uh, to China now because they have they seem to have more of a well they have more of a, a presence in today's climate and economic and so sanctions placed on them by whether it be the US whether it be the UK the EU it doesn't matter it means that that it's a kind of severing of ties which would be harmful and detrimental to both both countries and which is why uh, they're hope they're probably hoping not to cross that line because the EU have had and the UK and the US have a moral line, which they normally don't cross. Obviously, they're not perfect. But the Chinese, I would say, are doubtful and scared of crossing that line. Because that might be a line that they just cannot go back from. Alright, when we come back, we will discuss the effect the Biden administration will have on the US-China relationship. Welcome back. Let's now discuss the effect that increasing international scrutiny will have on China moving forward. So recently, there has been some intense scrutiny over China's actions in Xinjiang, which we will cover later. Do you think, Oscar, that this will really have an effect on how China proceeds domestically and internationally? Well, like we discussed earlier, the UK has been the forefront of this international pressure. 
like what we discussed with the UK visa. The relationship between them is quickly deteriorating, and one would symbolize the deterioration of diplomatic relations between China and the Western world. Well, one thing that could really affect China's reputation with the Western world is the relationship between China and the oncoming Biden administration. Now, Trump campaigned on being tough on China in the US, and many people, both foreign and domestic, in the US believed that Biden would be soft on China, or at least less aggressive than Trump. But just from his first few weeks in office, it seems like this is not the case. Uh, reportedly, he had a call with Chinese President Xi Jinping, in which he brought up Xinjiang, Taiwan, Hong Kong, cybersecurity, and economic in- inequality in, Jiang- in-, in the call. Wow, sounds like he should run this podcast episode. He seems to have covered the bases there. Anyways, this call showed that the world, that Biden will put pressure on China. And it seems like other countries are taking a tougher stance. Biden also has refused uh, to remove some of the sanctions and tariffs placed on China by the outgoing Trump administration, which caused tensions to rise between the two countries. Last week in Alaska, uh, the US and China had an an explosive first encounter as Tony Blinken, uh, Biden's Secretary of State and Yang Jiechi, uh, China's most uh, senior foreign policy official, traded verbal blows in their public opening statements. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken said that the U.S. would discuss deep concerns with actions by China, including Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cybersecurity attacks on the United States, and the economic coercion of U.S. allies. That was a quote. Mr. Yang Xie responded by accusing Washington of using its military and financial supremacy to suppress other countries. Mr. Lang Yang later claimed, without a trace of irony, that human rights in the U.S. were at a total low point. Analysis of these public statements have been unified in the agreement that these were unusually undiplomatic meetings. Officials from both sides later claimed their private meetings were successful. Now, Oscar, this was the first meeting the Chinese had had with the, bright, the incoming Biden administration. Do you believe that these verbal sparring matches are a one-off to signal reassurance in the U.S. that Biden will be tough on China and that they will return back to usual diplomacy? Or do you believe this symbolizes a tactic that will be employed in future diplomatic discussions between Biden and China? Well... I think it symbolizes Biden that he want, he wants to make sure that people know that not as the per- person who was soft on China, but the person who was actually took a stance against China. Of course, now these days, uh, China's diplomatic, as we said earlier, China's diplomatic uh, status to the West has deteriorated quite a bit uh, since the Tiananmen Square protests and the Hong Kong protests and the and Xinjiang, but. Um, I believe this this might uh, symbolize the new the new tactic deployed also by China, because China also wants to be tough on the West, as they don't see uh, they're quite they're as you said diplomatic. They don't see uh, they want to get away with this politeness and everything. They're very upfront about uh, all the about uh, their opinions and the country's status to them. 
Yeah, it seems like they're trying to uh, present themselves as a strong country, and so they're not going to follow the traditional pathways of diplomacy, where they go in meetings and they reassure each other that they're going to do stuff and it doesn't really change anything. It seems like these ones will be more honest meetings, and so I really wonder whether this will be beneficial or detrimental to the relationships between these between the Western world and China. It's uh, my opinion. It probably could definitely harm these two really the relations because uh, this could symbolize a new era where people where there will be uh, both sides get versus each other, and this could lead. Almost a new Cold War. Exactly. Exactly. All right, when we come back, we'll be discussing Taiwan and the con- controversy that surrounds it. All right, welcome back. Taiwan has been a sore spot in China's domestic world since 1949 and possibly before it, when Chi- when Chiang Kai-shek and the rest of the Kuomintang party fled to Taiwan to escape political persecution in mainland China from Mao and the Communist Party. Ever since the Kuomintang Party led uh, in the area, they led under the martial law to make sure any semblance of the com- of communism was rooted out, and preparations for retaking of China commenced. Taiwan has a capitalistic economic system, putting Taiwan directly uh, contrasted with China. Yeah, the basic gist is that Taiwan has been a thorn on the side of China, as Taiwan recognizes itself as a sovereign nation, but China refuses to recognize it as such. Recently, there has been some serious developments in this area. Mike Pompeo, Trump's disgraced former Secretary of State, on his way out decided to lift all diplomatic restrictions on Taiwan, a move criticized by some. As a tactic to make it harder for the Biden administration to solidify relations with China. Now you can make an argument that this decision is a good one, as diplomatic relations with Taiwan is important. But this decision seems to be based on politics only, as a way to spite the Biden administration. Yeah, I completely agree. Developing relations with Taiwan is important, as they are important. But this decision. Uh, seems to be meaningless as it serves only the egos of guys like Pompeo. Expanding diplomacy in Taiwan is a smart decision, but Biden has to walk a very tight rope so as not to anger China while still maintaining important ties with Taiwan. And、uh, I would like to mention that、uh, Taiwan, although wanting to mo- the majority of Taiwanese wanting more independence. Uh, the Taiwanese government wants to pretend it's still China. The reason being is that if the, if Taiwan starts、uh, try to、uh, declare independence, China would declare war on Taiwan, which has already been、uh, threatened by the Chinese government. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Which, weirdly enough, is technically、uh, the most. Technically, they claim a lot. Like I mean, a lot of land. Probably one of the most ambitious、uh, claims in history. Actually, they. Claim parts of China, Russia,、uh, even India, all the bo- basically all the countries that border China, and even the whole of Mongolia. The reason being is that the Kuomintang Party was founded、uh, against the Qing, who used to rule all that land. And since they are the Kuomintang Party at Taiwan, 
they cl still claim all of China. And if they say that, well, you know what, I don't, I give up, I don't want that part anymore, I'm going to be in my own country, that's basically what they're saying. They want to be their own sovereign nation, which would... Cut ties with the, the history to try and push themselves into a more sovereign... Cut, yeah, exactly. If they cut, if they cut their ties with history, they would. Uh, the PRC would be see this as an act to declare independence. Yeah, so that's a very interesting one. I wonder how uh, well this belief is uh, accepted in places like India and Russia and Mongolia. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually think that I'll ever get the land, but they probably, they probably the best they could ask for is a seat in NATO. And to be honest, I'm kind of upset that um, most of most Taiwan is usually just made as used as a political tool by uh, American administrations these days, instead of uh, a key yeah. to try and uh, try to actually help people there. <laughs> yeah, it seems that it's used more as a tool to anger or uh, battle against China than as a tool to actually help the people in Taiwan. Yes, exactly. Okay, after the break, we are moving on to our final topic, Xinjiang. Welcome back. Xinjiang is a developing story. As a few days before we planned on filming this, China ramped up its propaganda against companies threatening to pull out of Xinjiang due to humanitarian reasons. Two of the companies being pressured by the Chinese are H&M and Nike, two companies that reportedly have been supplied cotton from the Xinjiang area. Both companies voiced conserves concerns over the treatment of workers in the area, and propaganda in the country has painted these companies as American scammers crying crocodile tears. Yeah, for the past two years, accusations have started to grow about the concentration camps in the area, where the Chinese have placed millions of Uyghur Chinese. Uh, the Uyghurs are a minority group in the northwest of China, and they are a Muslim population. Now the Chinese have claimed that uh, these camps are re-education uh, of these people to remove terrorist ideas. Critics, however, claim these camps are raping, sterilizing, and host hostily converting women and men in, in these camps. Some accusations include that the Chinese are forcing them to eat pork, something that is forbidden in Islam. Just an overall terrible situation in these camps. Many activists and critics have compared these camps to the Holocaust camps in Germany and Poland during the Second World War. Xinjiang is a real tension point for international scrutiny on China, as any criticism, whether it be from the US, EU, anywhere, will be heavily punished by China, whether it be diplomatic or economic sanctions. So economic sanctions and tariffs have already been threatened by many developed countries in the world to China about this situation. And the Winter Olympics planned in China in 2022 is now endangered, with countries threatening to pull out of the games. Activists and scholars do warn of fierce retribution from the Chinese if the withdrawals were to happen. Uh, I read recently that the Australians have had a real tension points with China over this, because um, Australia were one of the first countries to come out against this. And recently, on Twitter, for some bizarre reason, the Chinese uh, Chinese officials have kind of been dunking on uh, the Australians. A report came out recently that said that Australians in Afghanistan 
were killing and mur and uh, raping soldier uh, children and women in Afghanistan, and the Chinese um, sent out uh, tweets condemning this and sent a, a really horrifying image of a Australian soldier holding a child with a knife saying, we're here to save you. Really chilling. It's odd that they took a stand here. It's, China would probably not. Right, right. This is an example of how the Chinese are taking more of a powerful stand. They're more, they've become more aggressive over the years. And I think this is due to uh, probably the Xi Jinping coming into power and becoming more and becoming more imposing to the West, trying to control basically the whole world. They, um, they're not, they're, as we said before, they're, they're, this is an example of them taking a less uh, diplomatic status and saying basically what they want about the other countries. Yeah, um, Xi Jinping is really quite the strong man. He, he's been aggressive towards Tibet, uh, another tension point that we sadly couldn't cover. Uh, he's centralized his uh, power in China, and he's going into the two sessions, a parliamentary session in China, as strong as, um, as any other time. And I reckon it's, kind of, it's definitely out of spite. As, uh, they've been, as you said before, uh, been compared to the Holocaust camps multiple times. So this is kind of their uh, revenge, sort of. Yeah, it's kind of, you accuse me and I'll accuse you. Yeah. But uh, in, all, in all fairness to the Chinese government, there were terrorist attacks in the among in Xinjiang before this, and not and now, but and now there are basically none, and that doesn't justify what they did, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's a punishment of of millions for the crimes of a few. Of course, yes, yes, but it's. Uh, it's still an important thing to know that uh, they can still argue the fact that it still worked and there's really nothing. Yeah, it's the it's the excuse they use for it, that uh, it's re-education, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's kind of like the excuses for most things. Uh, excuses is part of uh, being, being, uh, being violating human rights. It's kind of part of it. You can't really just go, yeah, I'm going to violate human rights and I'm just doing that for that. You kind of have to provide some excuse that normally isn't really great, but... Exactly. I was kind of shocked by the uh, the H&M and Nike, uh, the uh, the boycott, because I was I didn't think that the Chinese government actually had this much influence over the Chinese. Now, I'm not... Sh this is from my, my perspective, so it might be incorrect. So far, it's seen quite a large support for the boycott over Nike and H&M. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nike has become recently, um, in Nike, China is the biggest market. And so boycotts like this would really hurt their bottom line. I don't really know about H&M, but Nike especially, they, they really are in a danger zone now because the P PRC is, is their biggest market after um, before the U.S. They have a large, yeah, yeah, um, H&M and Nike were pretty popular in China before this. Uh, they've become recently quite less popular. That's only from my perspective. And uh, it seems like uh, they're take they're taking this as kind of an example for saying uh, to any other companies that are willing to speak out, this is what's going to happen. So I think they're setting a, a clear precedent and example with with this pretty cruel punishments for just 
for not even pulling out, for voicing concern. Exactly. And I actually, this, this actually happened multiple times. This actually happened in uh, the Hong Kong protests before. Uh, I, I think one example was a supermarket, I think. Uh, the manager, some someone, uh, probably put on, put on Twitter said, uh, you know, free Hong Kong and independence. And the next day, no one came to the to the to the market. I just could, I couldn't believe how much control the how much support the CCP actually had in China. Yeah, the an example, uh, the NBA. It was the Houston Houston Rockets. Their GM, um, yeah, exactly. he tweeted support Hong Kong, and immediately. All games on in China were like pulled from the from the show, and they had to like apologize. So it shows how much control that they starting to have on, on West even Western companies. It is scary because it's affecting, uh, the freedom of speech of popular figures who depend on some of their finances to uh, Chinese markets. Yeah, it's it's freedom of speech, but like not even in China. It's eight Nike and H and M. They these are. Uh, Nike is an American company, and they're they are being forced to silence by a Chinese one. It's interesting to see um, whether this will um, force a reaction from the American or the European governments, or whether China will just continue to use this playbook. Oh no, no, no! They definitely will react quite strongly, and this is why one of the reasons why I think most uh, I think most re- that. Most reasonable party members of the CCP should oppose Xi Jinping, as although yes, even if you, I, even if you don't care about human rights or, um, if you don't care about democracy or whatever, you can you still need to see that even, she even this strategy of um, Xinjiang and all these uh, genocides is harming our reputation and therefore probably going to set our uh, bad images image for the west and probably slowing down our progress by a lot yeah like we mentioned earlier there is a moral line which china is nearing and which will i think permanently detriment the relationship that it has on the western world taking away the taking away the moral uh, side of it i strategically it's also bad it's it's flawed as well yeah all right, thank you all for listening to the entirety of this pretty long podcast. And I want to thank Oscar for his participation and aid in these two episodes. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, next episode will be released soon. I'm still contemplating which one, but I'm uh, which country to do, but I'm nearing towards India, I think. So thanks everyone for listening and for the support. Uh, please reach out to me and tell me if Chinese officials start emailing you about me. I'm the one who's going to visit China like this year, like yeah, this year. So, well, good luck. Thanks everyone <laughs> for listening, and goodbye.